We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the show. Good to see you. I'm Chris Van Vliet. If you happen to be a regular listener of Ron Funches' podcast, Getting Better with Ron Funches, and this happens to be your first time here, thank you so much for joining us. I'm an Emmy Award-winning TV host, and I'm fascinated with finding out how people are wired to achieve greatness. On each episode, we have in-depth conversations and reverse engineer the habits and techniques of the world's top athletes, actors, entrepreneurs, comedians, you name it. If they're the best at what they do, I want to get their insight so we can all apply it to our own life. And it's hard not to love Ron Funches. I mean, he's one of the funniest people on the face of the planet. And then you realize how big of a wrestling fan he is, which makes you love him even more. And I know you won't be able to see it here because this is the podcast version, but we talk about it. Don't worry. He's wearing a Brian Pillman t-shirt. Ah, what's not to love? He also talks about how he went to wrestling school as part of his fitness journey. And on that fitness journey, he's lost 140 pounds. Most importantly, he's kept the weight off. So if you or someone close to you is on your own weight loss journey, this is going to be incredibly inspiring for you. Ron is at Ron Funches on Twitter. He's at Ron Funch on Instagram. So take a screenshot, tag him. Hey, tag me too. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. And while you're doing things on your phone there, make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast, whatever platform you're listening on. Although if that, if that platform happens to be Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave a review like this one from Bo Stewart in Australia, all the way down under. Chris needs a finisher named after him. Oh, wow. What's... Uh... What is this? Hmm, what is this review going to be about? I love this podcast. I'm only a new fan, but I find myself daily driving to work, listening to Chris talk about whatever he feels like. Not his guests, but his good friends. Relaxed and real conversations. One of the best in the business, especially with the way he ends podcasts sharing gratitudes with his guests. 
Thanks, Chris. Keep up the good work. Bo Stewart in Melbourne, Australia, or as you guys say, Melbourne, right? Well, thank you so much. I don't know what a Chris Van Vliet finisher would be. Oh my God, he hit him with the Van Vliet. He's setting up for the Van Vliet. What would that even, I don't know. Kind of went off on a little tangent there. But thank you. Thank you, Bo. Maybe it'd be like some sort of high-flying splash. My God, it's the Van Vliet. (laughs) Oh, my guest today will make you laugh. He will make you smile. And he will inspire the heck out of you. Please welcome my friend, Ron Funches. This has been a long time coming, so I'm glad we're finally making this happen. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, you know, so many mutual acquaintances and friends and I always, I mean, I watch some of your videos and I'm well aware of you. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming. Well, I'm, I'm very we aware. We both have you. championship belts in our walls. Oh, oh, wow. Very nice. No. Oh, is that, no, the, is that the winged eagle? Uh, it's based off the, the uh, Ron Simmons WCW title when he won it. It's my at midnight championship. Oh, I've, I've seen that. You uh, you went into a full-on wrestling character with that. I did at some <laughs> points, yes. I, I'm a subscriber to your podcast. You do such great work on getting better. So congratulations on that. Congratulations on everything that you have going on. Oh, thank you very much. I'm sometimes uh, unaware that people will listen to what I do. So I appreciate that. I was that's genuinely the, surprised by that. That's the funny thing about podcasts, right? Is you kind of just throw it out into the abyss and you just hope that people find it. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I could look at numbers and things. Uh, there are people who, who do know those, but I, I just don't because I think I would get too like, oh, what do we do this week? What do we do this week? And I, so I just kind of like, oh, I'll just keep. I just put them out. Are these shoes that are strewn about behind you here? Probably. Let me. The see. other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are my new uh, uh, Ultra Boosts. They glow in the dark, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> you know, one of the things one of the things about a podcast is it's difficult to come up with a name. And I just renamed my show. It was the Chris Van Vliet Show for a while, but I was like, it's not really about me. That name doesn't make a ton of sense. So now it's Insight with Chris Van Vliet. That's fun. Yeah, sure. That's what exactly what we get in these conversations. We get, you know, a lot of insight. What went into the name getting better? Uh, this was just, I wanted to make a podcast. I wanted to have a home for people to come find me because I do a lot of guest stuff. I'm always like guests in other people's homes and projects and people tend to enjoy what I do, but then I didn't have a place where they could kind of follow what I was doing and what I was about. Um, so I wanted, I knew I wanted to make a podcast to start with. And then I wanted to do something that I like talking about, which is in, in my general life. Like a lot of my affirmations that I do in my podcast just came from what I was doing at home with my son. Um, you know, when we start our day. I would just, be like, before you go to school, I'd be like, you're smart, you're kind, you're strong. Da, 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 and I would send them yeah. out. And so I wanted, if I want to do a podcast, I was like, well, it's every week. It's something consistent that I have to know I want to do and so I was like I want to talk about kind of like a comedic version of self-help of not 
taking things too seriously because I was, I like self-help. I've read a lot of these different books, like the secret or one of my, they're all the secret basically, <laughs> but, but they've read them in different ways. Like do you by Russell Simmons or, or uh, Emily V Gordon's books, the super you, I think is what it's called. Um, and, and so these are things I was always interested in. And I just noticed in my life, just from being on Twitter that there has been a shift in how I communicate with people in the yeah. short term. It's, it's funny that when you start to put those messages out to the world, cause you and I are speaking the same language here with that type of stuff. People start to then view you as, Oh, Ron's like the positive guy. I like mm -hmm. this. <laughs> yeah. Which I just like, like I'm just a regular person. I'm a full person and I try to focus on the positive and I try to push the positive to fight that negative. So um, but, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Is this who you always were? Were you always a positive person? No, not always. Not com completely for sure. I just grew up in like a lot of rough circumstances. My, my mom was in an abusive relationship for most of my childhood. I just grew up in the south side of Chicago, which is not the rough, I mean, at the easiest area and we didn't have much money and my mom was a single parent. So uh, just dealing with a lot of stuff like that. And I had my son very young when I was 20 and then my son was diagnosed with autism a couple of years later. So there was just a lot of traumas and a lot of things go I went through that uh, kind of didn't just shape who I was where I was like, more of those things where it's like, well, I, it seems like a lot of things are out of my control and all I can control is my attitude and my positivity. Mm -hmm. And for a while, no, I wasn't like that at all. And But I could see how what that was getting to me. I remember when I was in a job I hated and I was eat, overeating and over smoking and like really, you know, put on a lot of weight and in a bad relationship. And I was just like, well, this isn't going anywhere. So maybe <laughs> we could try something else. I think a big thing to key in on here is it's so easy to focus on all those things that aren't going right in your life, but you made the conscious effort to go, even though there might not be a lot of positivity shining in here, I'd rather focus on that stuff. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Some places they're like lighthouses in the ocean, you know, like, what are you going to focus on? The fact that you're stuck out at sea or the fact that you can see a lighthouse, which lets you think maybe I can get out of this. So yeah. that's kind of how I, I looked at it. And that's how when I even when I started comedy, that was my focus. So I was like, oh. Um, a lot of my comedy was a reaction to what I was seeing, which was a lot of negativity and comedy, a lot of like, oh, I hate this. Uh, da, and I was like, well, if I'm going to get up there every night, multiple times a night, I don't want to carry that. I don't want to be like, this sucks. That sucks. Everything sucks. I want to go. I love this. I love my son. I love this game. I love regrets. I love this because then I can talk about that every night. Yeah. And that makes me feel better. So yeah. I then guess, oh, now I got back to what I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> I love how that happens. So I wanted to take that life that I was living in my comedy and push it more in my pot in the podcast. So why I wanted to call it getting better was that I felt like it was a when um 
I started to get a little bit of success. I was working on a TV show. A lot of the positive stuff that I was saying online before that I would still tweet out and things, people weren't taking the same anymore. People were like, oh, yeah, of course you'd say that. You got money. You're on a TV show. You're da 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 And um, I was noticing there's like a divide between what certain people say is like, oh, I'm struggling or I've made it. But just from life, just from the people I've been around, just from the experience I've had, I was like, oh, there is, everybody's focusing on getting better. Even there's people I know who have a hundred million dollars and they're still trying to get better. They're still trying to push their art or, or whatever their thing is. And I, and so that kind of was my focus on naming the show that was just like, oh, it's not about making it. It's not about this end point. It's about getting better. And, and, and that's what my life was about whether financially or my health or anything that is like oh because that was a big thing with my losing weight is like I thought like once I reached this goal weight that I'd be done and I was like oh no I gotta keep doing this or I blow them back up so I guess right. forever I'm just focusing on getting better and so yeah and it's getting better mentally but it's also getting better in every aspect of your life have you read the book Atomic Habits no, I haven't. Oh, this would be a great book for you because it's all about the idea of like, if you get just 1% better every single day, that compounds on itself. When, you know, the reverse is happening, 1% worse every single day, mm -hmm. you know, think of, think of how different that would be, how juxtaposed those two worlds would be. And I just love that it's, it's about getting better mentally. That's what you're saying, but it's about getting better, like looking at where you're at now and being in a better place than you were six months ago, a year ago, five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And everything that's, that's the feeling I always love. Again, going back to my comedy is like, I loved it when I could go back and listen to a set six months ago and be like, Oh, you know, like, Oh, I'm yeah. so much better now. I'm oh, I changed that into something different. I love progress. I love what work real work is as opposed to like what you said, which is like, it's so easy to just kind of coast and mm. do the same thing every day and not notice that you're not getting in better. You're, you're decaying. You know? Yeah. So you've been such a huge inspiration with the weight loss that you've had. And I think that the question you probably get asked all the time is how did you do it? Mm -hmm. But I'm actually curious what made you do it? Cause I'm sure that you looked at yourself and went, I definitely have a bunch of weight to lose, but what made you actually start to take those first steps to losing the weight and then keeping it off? Um, it's a combination of things. Um, one, I was just noticing that I, like my knees were hurting. My, um, I was having these things where I was get on flights. And I remember one night in particular, I was on a flight and a lady just woke me up and she was like, I'm worried about you. It sounds like you have sleep apnea. And she's like, I'm a nurse. And I'm like, she's like, you sound like you weren't breathing. And I was just like, oh, it's trained. I, you know, I bristled up. I was like, I'm fine. You know, blah, 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 blah. But later on, I was like, oh, a stranger just woke me up to concerned about my breathing. And I also, there was a Thanksgiving where my mom came to visit me and she wanted to buy me some clothes and she went and bought me clothes and she just came home and she was like, it hurts me. It doesn't make me feel good to buy you clothes this size. It makes me worried about you. Mm. And those two events kind of pushed me. And then the fact that I had just started working on a show uh, where the character was supposed to be like a big guy and like um, shy and all these things. And which and show is this? It's called uh, Undateable. It was on right. NBC for three seasons. Yeah. And um, 
just Bill Lawrence is amazing. He's the hundred million dollar guy I was talking about. He also created the show Ted Lasso. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and Scrubs, a lot of things. Clone High. He does wonderful things. Um, but he just one day he was like, hey, he's like, I've seen you in the gym a couple of times and then not for a long time. And um, I just want to let you know, like, this, we like you. You're funny. That uh, If you don't want to be this way, if you want to, you, I'm happy to it's not a thing. We don't need the fat guy. And so um, he just kind of introduced me to his trainer, Jorgen DeMay, who's been my trainer for a long time. And um, I just kind of was like, let's get to it. And it was just a lot of walking and, and, and throwing up for a few months. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I'm still, I saw him before I saw you today working out with Jorgen. He's in, He's uh, in the Netherlands right now with his family and he FaceTimed me and we got a nice leg workout in. And um, it really just becomes before it was like I just shut off my mind and I follow the rules because my health is in danger. And then it became a thing of like, oh, I'm fine now. I can go back to eating cookies. And then now it's more like, oh, I want to do I have a big focus. I'm like about to be 38 in a month. And I'm like, I want to be in the best shape of my life when I turn 40. Like I was not in the best shape of my life when I turned 30. And I would like to see um, what the best shape of my life is when I turn 40 because naturally it's going to be a fight after that. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the exact same page. You turn 38 in a month. I turn 38 in three months. And I have the same goal. I'm looking looking ahead to 40 going, number one, 40? How are we going to be 40? Like I know. I remember being in my 20s looking at my um, wife's, my ex-wife's dad's birthday cake, and it said 46. And I was like, God damn. (laughs) (laughs) I remember going to my father's 40th birthday party. We had a surprise birthday party for him. The cake was a hill, and it was like, you're over the hill. He had a shirt that said, 40's not old if you're a tree. And I'm like, you don't feel that old. And now here I am, here you are, two years away from it. Mm-hmm. I feel young. We feel great. I feel the best I've ever felt, to tell you the truth. And you look great too. Thank you. What you were too. you at your heaviest? 360. My goodness. And you've lost like a whole person since then. Yeah, I'm back, back right now. I'm at two. I mean, I know because I'm back in the new focus thing. I'm at 224. So that's amazing. Congratulations to you. Thank you. What was the first step? Like it was getting the trainer and everything, but then it's actually having to put one foot in front of the other and make this thing happen. Yeah, it was mostly um, walking, a lot of walking um, and learning. I think that's the, I had the desire. I wasn't like, I just want to be my heaviest. I love sweating when I'm just standing here. Uh, but it was like, I don't have the tools. I never grew up like that. Like even when I was a kid, we would try and our thing would be like, well, we're going on, we're going to the park. We're going to go for a jog. And then we're going to Burger King and getting a Whopper and a shake. And so it was never this thing of like, oh, you also have to take care of your diet and how many things are tied to that health wise of, of how many things you can just, if you're ahead of the curve, you don't have to worry about all these pills and this diabetes and all these things that could creep up on you. And I never, it took a lot of like learning about that. My wife has been a big help in that. Um, and, but mostly, I mean, it took wall, if I could say two things, walking and water, that was it. I, and, um, if anyone is 
also feeling if you're feeling a tinge in yourself while you listen to this and you're like it seems so difficult i could tell you that the if i can give you just one simple advice the first step i did was find something i could cut out find one of these vices i knew that was bothering me and for me the quickest one i could do i've done a lot of them since then i didn't know it was going to be a whole oh you're all gonna die but (laughs) the very first one was soda just being like i don't drink soda anymore i drink water i don't drink juice i just drink water occasionally i'll drink these uh stevia sodas uh, just because I miss the bubbles or I'll drink a Pellegrino. But for the most sure. part, it's like we don't drink soda anymore. We don't drink water and make a rule. And then I follow that rule. I need to point out your shirt because I'm very good friends with his son. <laughs> <laughs> Brian I'm just Pillman. glad you know this isn't Kurt Cobain. Everybody oh. right, usually <laughs> wear this shirt. They're like, great Kurt Cobain shirt. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I I can see the similarity. Yeah, I mean, neither of them are alive still, but that's yeah. about it. <laughs> I am very good friends with Brian Pillman Jr., but that, that's such a he wears that shirt all the time. Actually, it's a great shirt. I love it. I found it, and then I burned a hole in it, and so I got another one uh, because <laughs> I I'm a big fan of Brian Pillman. I also I'm not like big fans friends with Brian Pillman Jr., but we've chatted. We'll make uh, that happen. <laughs> we will yeah. change that. But he seems like a great guy. I know he just got a new house. And so I'm excited, happy for him. Yeah, he's just crushing. I'm so happy for him. So in, in your weight loss journey, you actually went to wrestling school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for three months, I went to the Santino Brothers Academy in the Bell Gardens in California. And um, it was just a big part. Um, my friend had passed away suddenly at like 34. And um, it was just one of the things like, oh, I could die. Then I've always wanted to do a few things um comedy is one of them and wrestling have been another so let me go try and so i i had never done team sports high school anything like that and it was a great experience it was also um i think it was nice to try something and and not be good at it you know it was just like oh like when I even, you know, as egotistical may sound, when I tried comedy for the first time, even though I was by no means good, I was like, oh, I feel like I can do this. I feel yeah. natural at it. I love the feel of the microphone in my hand. I like being on stage. I like it. When I was doing roles, when I was taking bumps, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I love it. So I want to keep trying. And that was, um, a big lesson for me until I then was like, I'm wasting mine and other people's time. So I got to quit. <laughs> did you go in with the goal that you wanted to be fully trained and work a match one day? Or did you I didn't want to work one match? I did want to do that. I thought that would be a great goal. Uh, but I also have a full c- c- comedy career <laughs> that, yeah. um, and so I would go for extent, you know, my, it was three days a week. So I'd go every all those times and then i'd have to go i get a thing like oh well now you're gonna be out of town for a week or you're shooting something for two weeks and then i realized like i wasn't just hurting myself that like i'm locked up with someone and if i'm not there they are missing their partner they have to switch things around they have to do things i when i come back i'm behind so they're trying to keep me up with them and i just didn't feel like it was like fair for people who were actually trying to become pro wrestlers. And I was at a fantasy camp. (laughs) I too trained for about the same length of time that you trained. And I 
stopped for the exact same reason. Like I'm the type of person that I want to put my all into everything, which it sounds like you are too. And that's why you've been so successful. But when I looked at this crossroads where I'm like, do I continue going to college? Cause I was in college at the time, or do I continue going to wrestling schools at school, school or a wrestling school? Mm -hmm. And I can't like half-ass either one. So it's just like, all right, wrestling will always be there. And thankfully for both you and I, we can have our foot firmly planted in our career. And then, you know, just kind of, just kind of dabble. Yeah. Just play with it. Just play with it. Especially it seemed like such a harsh mistress to be your main, to be your main lady. Oh. I don't know if I can deal with that. <laughs> so yeah, I think I made the right, right decision to focus. I just and like it's just the same thing I feel with comedy. Like if you come in and you respect it and you love it, even if you're not here to full time it, I'm well welcome to it. But if you feel like you're gumming up the works, then get out of the way. And that's how yeah. I felt with the with the wrestling. But I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. I take a lot of lessons I learned from it into what I do um, in business now, just being confident when I come in, introducing myself to everyone, shaking everyone's hand. Yes. Um, I guess, you know, in the past. But <laughs> now I don't shake anyone's hand. Uh, but, <laughs> but just a level of confidence a level of team that i had never been a part of before and a lot of the people that were there i'm still friends with tyler bateman um brody king uh heather monroe you know uh i love i still root for jake atlas even though he was very mean to me in class no. uh, he was the bitch he was the drill sergeant he wow. even was like you're too sweaty go put on a new shirt <laughs> <laughs> And he was like right, but he could have said it nicer. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between coming up in the comedy world and coming up in the wrestling world. Like you're paying your dues. You're often like driving for hours on end to either make zero dollars or like twenty dollars. I feel like there's so many parallels there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, absolutely that was the moment where I decided I probably wasn't going to do it was we were in class and they were like, well, we have a show this weekend. If any of you guys can come help us, you can learn build how to build the ring and do things like that. Also, just to let you know, if you're serious about this, you might want to get a part time job, quit your real job. You might want to, uh, you know, you just might want to be available to travel around. You might have to sleep in your car. You might have did it. And I was like, oh, I already did this. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing it again. I did this. I did yeah. this for comedy. I'm not doing it again for wrestling. Were you always funny? Like growing up, were you like, you know, the guy that was always making everybody laugh in class? Yeah, but in like a shy way. I wasn't like a class clown. I was the guy who would make fun of the class clown. Like I was like in people's ear being like, look at that idiot, you know? <laughs> so that was my deal. Like, and I didn't even really know that people thought I was funny until I graduated high school and I was voted class. I was voted funniest person, class clown. And I was like, oh, I was just talking trash. I did it. <laughs> this might, I might be onto something here. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I was always good. It's just thinking, look, Grew up again with my mom in a, a unstable household thing. You learn a lot to like use humor to diffuse situations, and mm. and so that's who I always was in the family. Uh, I remember like going to Thanksgiving with where the whole family would get together, and they'd always be like, "Yeah, oh, whoa, that boy's funny. He's funny. He's funny." And uh, but I never thought it was a real job. It took a lot of like bouncing around and, you know, my son being born and my son getting diagnosed with autism for me to be like, I need to pick a career. So how did you decide 
that you were going to give your all to comedy because just like wrestling, that is a tough road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, I was working at a bank um, call center, uh, not a real bank. They don't let me near money, uh, <laughs> 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 but let me near the phones. Um, and I, my son was born and I, and so that was like my focus. I was like, I need a job with a 401k. I need to do this. I don't have, I have, I dropped out of community college after three weeks. So if this job is paying double digits, uh, you know, to start, that's great. Cause they have my only other options are subway or something. So I was focused on that. And then um, I was just not good. I'm not good in a corporate structure, as one would imagine. And the only thing that would save me is that I was good to talking with people. Like no, ma- no matter whatever job I had, I worked at a grocery store and people would go to my line as opposed to taking an open cashier because they wanted to talk to me. Um, and then on the bank, that was my thing is that I would take less calls. Like you're supposed to take 150 calls a day. I take 50 max sometimes i'd end up at 30 something calls but when they would do the reviews of people with you know and they're like feedback i'd always get five 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 this guy's great he helped me out a lot and that's the only thing that kept me going and so they put me on this committee to kind of get other people to be more personable and more Mm -hmm. easygoing and they're like, come up with a project to try to get, there's a lot of stress on this job. You're telling basically the whole job was like, Ooh, you overdrew your account. And I know it's our fault, but I'm going to convince you it's your fault. And that's the whole job. Yeah. Uh, and so it, people were stressed out rightfully. So, and so they wanted like, Hey, come up with a video of how to deal with this. And so I spent like three weeks working with someone else on this video and where I didn't have to work on the phones. I didn't have to do any of that. And I made it and they liked it so much. They were like, we're going to show this company wide at this thing. And they did. And I'm just like in the back of this auditorium nervous. Cause I'm like, I think it suck. It's super corporate. It's all about a bank and stuff. And I could just hear them laughing and just laughing. And it, I got that first rush that you mm. get with, you know, I assume that people get in wrestling when they get their first pop. Um, and I was just like, Oh, Oh, I like that. And Oh, if they like this, what if I talked about stuff I actually gave a crap about? Yeah. And then they tried to put me back on the phones and it was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine how pleasant it would be to call a call center and have you answer the phone. It would be just so (laughs) pleasant. It was, oh, you were definitely making the right, you were lucky if you got me because I was happy to give you money back. I was on your (laughs) side completely, unless you were a complete jerk or you were asking for something that would be on my scope, then I would lie to you and say to call me tomorrow and then I just would not show back up to work the next day. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm calling into a call center, give me some advice for how I can get what I'm looking for. Oh, if you're calling in, I mean, basically, Keep calling and you could tell by the person's voice when you get them. If it's a nice voice, when you hear them, if they sound calm, if they sound relaxed, go. If they sound, they're like, hello. As soon as you get them, you're, you're, you're dead. In the Hang water. up. Hang up. Try again. Wait till you get that nice voice on there. And then you come in pleasant and nice as well. Go like, hey, there's an issue here. Bring up how long you've been there as a, as a customer. And just never like yell at that person. Just mm. always keep it 
somewhat calm and explain it because you were usually right. I mean, things have changed a little bit, but back in my day, there was a big thing of the uh, available balance, real balance bullshit that was going on. I'm sorry. I don't know if I could curse on here. That's fine. It's the internet. Uh, And so they would always be like, yeah, you know, your balance was this, but your actual available balance was $20 left. So then I just remember a guy calling me. He's like, you guys gave me $90 in fees. And I overdrew my account by a dollar. And I was like, and I'm supposed to be like, well, you're available. But and I just be like, and he's like, no, look at it. Look at it. And he was just logical. And it was like, look at it. One dollar. I overdrew my account. You think it's okay to ding me three times and yeah. give me three fees. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get like, I didn't care about that job. And that's another thing to remember. Most people don't care about that job. I was like, yeah. I'm going to get you back. So I went back and I gave him back that $9 in fees. And then I went back and I found fees from years prior. And I threw in another 150 bucks because I was like, I don't want, we're screwing people over. Yeah. <laughs> are, are there people that think that this isn't your real voice? Yeah. Oh yeah. For and sure. you're just like, what do you say? Like, yeah, no, this is this is it. This is me. I mean, it's got a lot of range. If I'm not excited or if I'm like just chilling, it can. I mean, I can get down here. Just hang out here if you want. How difficult was it for you to get the get hard character? Was you sounded completely <laughs> different, completely different from this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> was, <laughs> was that? Would you? Was your original audition in that voice? Yeah, probably because he had to be tough. It, but, you know, it was a comedy. Uh, so I, in Kevin Hart, Will Ferrell. So I was like, yeah, I'll try any role that you want. I, my original uh, was even tougher. I was auditioning for the role that T.I. got. So oh. I, they were like, no, but we want you to be in one, one of the gang members that has lines. And I was like, cool, that'd be great. But I don't play that well. And I even remember that you funny that you bring that up because we shot it in New Orleans. And I remember going in the first day and I was talking with the wardrobe lady and I was talking to her for like two minutes. And she just goes, baby, don't take this personal, but I don't see you as a gang member. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I'm a, I will try my best to act and do it. But um, that was also a big part in my career because I was like, after that, I kept getting audition I, um, requests for like actual drama gang member roles. And I was like, well, that's different. This is like, I wanted to be funny. And also, um, I think that was near the time that Crazy Rich Asians was coming out. And I was like, oh, representation is very important. And I'm not that at all. And I think what I am is not represented a lot. And I would much rather, and I just told my manager, I was like, we don't do gang members anymore. If they want to do something else, if they want something like me, if they want, I mean, I'll act, I'll try other things, but no more gang members ever. And so that's just been like, since then I've been a scientist, I've been other things. So I just try to focus on that. Not that I'm like, uh, embarrassed about that role, but I, the fact that you bring it up, I was like, yeah, it's not the best fit for me, but I still think it worked because it was a comedy and my wife loves it. But those are her favorite roles. Anytime I gotta like get like somewhat gangster or if I hold a gun, she's like, <laughs> she gets excited. <laughs> Well, I mean, you have a line there. I'm I'm just going to paraphrase, but you're like, I love murder. I'm obsessed with murder. Murder, murder is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that's not what a real gang member would say. So I think it's okay to play that role. Yeah, exactly. That's what made it really fun. And I think like still memorable and definitely profitable. They still play that movie on TNT. Yeah, all you must the time. be getting all kinds of residuals. <laughs> I get I look up, I get a random check and I'm like, whoa, this is how often now I see it and I'm like, yeah, keep replaying that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so if we take this back, you get the first laugh when they play that video. Then do you go, all right, I don't want to be back on the phones now. I want to start to figure out a way to make that thing where I get laughs my job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically, because I knew I mean, since I was five years old, I loved stand up. I knew that I wanted to work in entertainment. I just didn't think it was a real job. And um, doing that thing with the bank and the fact that my son was diagnosed with autism, it really just kind of triggered this thing in me where I was like, oh, he's different. And that's OK. And for his whole life, I'm going to have to let him know that that's OK. And I'm going to have to uh, defend his differences. And I need to be able to I'm different. And that's okay. I don't fit in in this bank. I don't work it here. I from the get go, I was like, banks are stealing people's money. And then I worked at one, and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. And so I was like, it's okay to try and do what you want. And I was just young enough. My, you know, it's still just like 22, 23 when I started. Yeah. So it was just like, well, it's now or never, really, because I'm going to be broke no matter what for a little bit. So I might as well try something that I can, I need a career. I need something. My biggest goal at that time is because I remember a, a week or two after my son was diagnosed, we went to this park with my ex-wife and we saw a, a group of disabled adults with um, their caretakers and they were just not treating them well. They were very, very aggressive with them, yelling at them a lot. It seemed more like a prison than like someplace you would want your, 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 your child, your special person to be taken care of by. Sure. So uh, it was literally that moment where I was like, I need a lot of money. I need to make a mm. lot of money and I need to have a career. I need to, if he can never work and something never, I don't, maybe hopefully he can, but if he can't, I need to know that he is taken care of after I'm gone, that someone either cares enough about him or is paid well enough to care enough about him that they're not treating him like this. Mm. And that was pretty, pretty I was like, you know what will do that? Stand up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so how long after that did you go up to your first open mic? Um, I would say probably that was the summer. So um, and I started in October. Uh, it was a couple I love this. You are a man of action. <laughs> well, it still was a little bit of back and forth for sure. Uh, yeah, even I remember a friend of mine who I still talk with today, Mike. Uh, he helps me a lot with my Twitch. Um, is uh, he was one of the first people who was like, "You're funny. You should try stand up." And I'm like, "Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> what was your joke? Do you remember? I remember that. I don't remember what the punchline of stuff was about, but I remember I did a five minute set about having man boobs. That's what I remember. <laughs> so this is a five minute open mic set. Mm -hmm. And did you crush? I did well. I also, I remember I, this was also a weird time where I was like, I need to research everything about my jokes. So I started researching history of, of man boobs and things of that nature. And I found this thing where about where people with 
come like kind of like Spanx, I guess, pre-Spanx, where they would take pantyhose and cut off the crotch and stick their head through the crotch, their arms through the legs, and use that to like to as a control top. And so I did so I talked about man for five minutes and then I take off my shirt and I'm wearing that thing. Oh and God. that's got like a big the hackiest joke of all time, but it killed. And it gave me like I still today I remember like it can just take me back to like the biggest high I ever had where I was like I found it I found what I'm doing this is my life this is my job I found what I'm doing and I, I it carried me through a lot of <laughs> bombing and failures since then. And how long after that first open mic did you actually start making money from comedy? Um, I'd say five years after that. Five years later. Mm-hmm. What were you doing for work in the meantime? Um, I worked at like I I bounced around doing a lot of um part time work doing, um, and also I'd say I made a if you're talking about living money five years if you're talking yeah. about any money probably like two years where I would I started different mics I started different shows where I was like hustling I was basically a panhandler out there like <laughs> starting to show passing the collection things like oh we need to do it again <laughs> 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 and so that was it for a while. We just lived very poorly. Um, and another reason why I love my son so much is that, I mean, besides him being my son, but why I feel like I owe him is that like, you know, because he has autism, because he's diagnosed, he's uh, had social security. So a lot of the times he was the breadwinner. He was paying rent. I was supplementing it. I was paying the electricity. He was paying rent. Mm. And so that was a lot of how I survived for that and part-time jobs. I worked at Lady Liberty tax sign place, swirling sign, where which gave me a staph infection and almost killed me. Um, <laughs> wow, what? Yeah, they didn't clean those outfits. And I had a cut and I got an infection and I let it go for a while. And, and I, I mean, as much as my ex-wife and I, yeah, you know, we didn't get along, I do appreciate the fact that she really pushed me. She's like, you need to go to the hospital. And, and then I went and I ended up in the ICU for like five days. And they were like, if you didn't come today, you were going to die. So if you know me, you know how much I love sleep. I talk about it all the time because I know how important sleep is, which is why I prioritize it every night. But life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. But maybe you looked at some retailers and saw just how expensive good sheets are. Trust me, go check out Brooklinen. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't find them, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without those luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and your taste. I have their Lux sheets in white with the solid graphite duvet cover. Not only does it look amazing, but I've never slept better. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, and they're so confident that you'll love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Go to brooklinen.com. Use the promo code INSIGHT. You'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Enter the promo code INSIGHT, like the name of the show, 
and you'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's brooklinen.com. Use the promo code INSIGHT at checkout. Over the last year, we've all spent so much more time looking at screens, and I can't even begin to tell you how much my Blue Blocks blue light glasses have helped out. Because I was the guy who halfway through the afternoon, my eyes were starting to feel heavy, I was having trouble getting to sleep at night, and I thought it was just because I was overworked, because you don't ever stop when you work from home. Then I figured out it was from too much blue light. Blue light damages our eyes and leads to digital eye strain, which looks like blurred vision, headaches, and dry, watery eyes. And for some people, it could even cause heightened anxiety, depression, and low energy. Well, Blue Blocks was created to fix this problem and block out the blue light with high quality lenses. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, Blue Blocks are evidence-backed and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. They have over 40 frames to choose from. They come in prescription, non-prescription, and readers. So they really have frames for every single need. And the one that I wear is called Smith. If you follow me on Instagram, they're pretty sharp. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Kind of that Clark Kent vibe. But most importantly, I, I just can't say enough good things about how much they've helped with eye strain and how much better I sleep at night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now. And you can too. You can get your energy back, you can sleep better, and you can block out the unhealthy effects of blue light with blue blocks. Get free worldwide shipping and 15% off by going to blueblocks.com slash CVV or enter the code CVV15 at checkout. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash CVV for 15% off or just use that code CVV. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, this isn't a crisis line. This isn't self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with traditional therapy ever again. 
BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash insight and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So the special offer for anybody listening to Insight right now is 10% off your first month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash insight. So at what point in this journey did you realize, all right, I got to move to LA. That's where stuff happens. Oh, good segue. That would be the divorce. That would be that. There we go. <laughs> That's what my, I was like. I don't have a place to live anymore. I don't have a steady place. I I I can either stay here. Um, and it, like a friend of mine was going through the same thing where he was getting divorced and he was moving from LA to where they live to try to kind of like co-parent. And I didn't feel like just the way the, me and my ex were interacting that that was going to be something that could work for us. So I thought it was better for me, move away, try to go set up and be able to be a better parent that way. And that's actually, um, you know, I'd had a couple years of living in comedy flop houses and uh, just grinding and, and going to auditions on an empty tank of gas, and, which is very dangerous. And I do not recommend it because you do not want to run out of gas on a, 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 the freeway in Los Angeles. It is terrifying, uh, which has happened to me a couple of times. No. And, yeah. Well, I was playing roulette. I was like, we can make it back. So you get in your car, you would know it's on empty. The gas light is on, and you're like, gotta get to that audition anyway. Yeah, yes. And we and and I guess I mean I never booked any of those auditions, so it didn't matter. <laughs> but at least luckily I made it to all of those auditions. I never I sometimes I didn't make it back home, but I made it to the auditions. And so if that. you're stuck on the side of the 101 or the 405, how do you get home? I was lucky that my dad still had AAA, so I could call them and they would come bring me gasoline. And so that was it. But that would cost my dad a lot of money, I think. So, but that's what we had to do sometimes. (laughs) So what was the first real break that you got? Um, the first real break I got was the first time I did Conan O'Brien. That was a huge break. Yeah, absolutely. They kind of is like I got on Conan and also Got asked to do the Montreal Comedy Festival, New Faces, which is like the biggest deal for like people who are coming up. Is that comedy. a yuck yucks? <laughs> I'm from Canada. Uh, I think my actual I've been to yuck yucks several times. For of course, sure. yeah. I've done I've done sets at yuck yucks, but the actual uh, I think it was at this place called like the catacombs. So how do you get Conan O'Brien when you, you know, that's, that's obviously the start of your momentum. How do you get Conan O'Brien? Well, the start of it is um, just auditioning and trying things out. Like I was trying out for, I was in Portland still, and they had these um, 
I was lucky that we were having these festivals, which gave me a little bit of momentum and people from other comedians seeing me across the country, which then led to like people wanting me to open for them, like uh, Nick Kroll or John Mulaney or Aziz Ansari. And that like taught me a lot about comedy. I learned a lot from John Mulaney. Um, in particular about being professional in comedy and and uh, and traveling. I learned a lot, I learned a lot from all of those people. Yeah. And um, so it was just a bit grinding and I was auditioning to be a new face. And that's how my manager saw me, Melanie Truitt, who is a wonderful person, a human being and married to the comedy game. She's married to Brian Posehn, who is an excellent underrated comedian. And, uh, but, you know, but she also is just a wonderful manager, whether she was not married to anyone at all. Uh, <laughs> but she saw me on one of these auditions and, and she wanted to work with me. And then that led to me sending tapes to the producer of Conan, J.P. Buck, who is now a dear friend of mine. And there's just a process of tape after tape after tape of what they were responding to and what they didn't like. And eventually they were like, we think we got it. And, mm. and um, it just happened to coincide at the same time of the Montreal Comedy Festival going, oh, I think we got it. So it was a nice double boost. And then where did you take that momentum from there? To the open mics in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> you weren't living in LA yet, or you were just no. I was not. I was still in Oregon for uh, during that both times. So that was uh, you know near the end of right before I moved. But no, I just went back to Portland, went back and doing mics, and that um, is actually a start of where the getting better style came because I was like, oh, when I get on Conan when I get this Montreal. I did it. I done did it. We're fine. We're going to make it. We're fine. We've been struggling for so long, but I've got on Conan. This is it. And then I had to go back and do open mics in Portland. And because I brought my wife and my son and made a big deal out of taking everyone to Conan, I actually spent more money than I made. So it was this thing of like, oh, there's always the next day. <laughs> no matter mm. what I accomplish, there's going to be another day. So yeah. I have to quit being like, well, this is it. This is the thing. This is because it's very depressing to then go like, oh, okay, I just did Conan yesterday. Now I'm at this open mic and I'm going, did anybody see the Conan? Nobody did, of course. Yeah. And I think that there's a big, there's a big takeaway here of going like, for some people going on Conan O'Brien could be the pinnacle and they could go, hey, Remember that time I was on Conan, but you're going, no, that was a cool thing, but that, I just want that to be one step along the way. Yeah, no, I think that's anything in a career, right? Like you just, you, you learn to like consider these as little trophies, little notches. And you're like, well, you can't take this away from me. When you try to knock me down, when you try to sell me up, you know, all the time, people are like, you're not funny. You're You're the worst thing I've ever seen. I comment something on a Joe Rogan post. They're like, "You're who are you?" I'm like, "You don't, you don't know anything about me," and that's fine. The sun shines whether you're asleep or not, so it doesn't matter to me. But you can't take away what I've done. You can't yeah. take away that I've been on Conan, that I've been on Montreal, that people, that my heroes tell me I'm good, just because you don't think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What would you say most people recognize you from now? Mm, 
most people now recognize me either from I think I'm just weird in that like I'm from combo like like they're like oh I've seen you here here and here you know Mm -hmm. so I get a lot of people from like oh I loved you on that show at midnight when it was running I get a lot of people they're like I loved undateable when's it coming back and I'm like you have not been paying attention (laughs) to the news <laughs> You've also uh, done so much great voice work, so they might not recognize you, mm-hmm. but they definitely know your voice. Like, yeah, trolls. Anyone listening sure. to this that has kids, you're in trolls. Yeah, <laughs> and they've seen trolls. Yeah, for sure. Trolls, Puss in Boots. I've uh, been in Adventure Time. I know. I just. I think what I love about my career is that it's like I'm just like low key, and I do a lot. And the people who who I just have a good reputation with people who love to work with me. And that's all I care about. I don't need to be the most popular, but the fact that people like that, I'm a type that I know I'm a type that I've seen breakdowns where they're like looking for a Ron punches type. No, like to me, that's amazing. Well, then like, there's no reason that this can't continue to just, you know, build on itself and to continue to snowball. That's what I think. And that's what I thought when I saw that. I was like, I don't even know what Ron Funch's type is yet. I'm not, I haven't reached my final form yet. I, who <laughs> knows? I'm still growing. Who knows what Frieza I will be? What, when you did move to LA, what was the first real thing that got you on everybody's radar? Um, the first real thing um, that I did, um, I would say, probably the undateable show as far as like the real world and stuff but like if you're talking like comedy people and and that it was it was like i was um uh crawl show like when i was on that i was writing on that and also i did a couple memorable sketches on that that people liked yeah um so that was probably the part where like people were like oh he's funny and he's a good writer and um you know, we can try to work with him. And then I ended up working on a sitcom and then Powerless, which was a fun sitcom. And since then, I've been just trying to write my own projects and bounce around and do different guest roles. I've been, I mean, I think I've been very fortunate that I always like, I'm like, oh, I didn't go to college, but I've gotten the best comedy career that you could, or education you could ask for. I've worked with just some of the best in the world and I've learned under their tree. And I just, kind of take that and i wait for my time to strike <laughs> <laughs> who have been your comedy mentors um except for john Mill- i mean my, my three biggest influences when i was a kid even though i've never met any of these people or oh no i have met one nice uh lucille ball uh mitch hedberg and then dave Chappelle, who i did end up opening for in montreal which is one of my biggest um comedy accomplishments because they did not want me <laughs> and by the end of it they loved me and and i truly i was like this is one of the like oh i'm powerful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they wanted dave <laughs> did did you you have a chance to talk with dave backstage mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i've been i talked to him a couple times he's been very nice to me uh uh you know it's not like he he's like follows me around or or is like what you been up to but whenever i've seen him he's just he like a lot of comedians just like to see other comedians succeed so yeah he's very um nice and very cool he was he had his family with him and so he could have been very much like you know but he was very like open and like hey come meet my wife come meet my kids you know very nice guy 
it, I feel like he's just absolutely crushing it. I don't know if anybody's better than him. He's be- He's like uh, uh, the best at being like what I always say, a true comedian of like, you don't have to be right in everything you say. You can be outlandish. You can be wrong. You can tell yourself. You can say I'm wrong. And I think that yeah. he's still great at that, and, which is always funny because people are like, oh, you can't say more thing anymore. You can't. It's like, no, you just have to be really good. Like you can say whatever you want. If you're good. And also, what are you trying to say? What are you yeah. want to say? <laughs> if someone's starting off in comedy, I mean, it's a long path, but what are the first few steps in that journey? Uh, writing, 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 writing all the time and then going up. That's why I say right now is an excellent time because as much as like you can't go out and you know, there are still open mics going on in your town, I'm sure. And as well as there's Zoom open mics. So like, you know, I used to have to drive an hour, two hours, three hours to bomb. And, and like now, like Zoom shows aren't the funnest because you can't feel the feedback, yeah. but at least you're like i go like oh all right i did it i turned off my screen and i'm home it's like well, all right cool so yeah. i think it's a great time to start just get into it write a bunch write what makes you happy be specific about what your viewpoint is and um just keep going up it's it's, it's not you know it's much like everything else it's just repetition getting better and having getting some- better Having something to say. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom shows must be so hard, though, because you're not hearing laughter. They're horrible. They're insane. They make you feel like that. Uh, yeah, there's a few. No, no, there. No, no, I don't think there are. What part they, of L.A. are you in? I'm in the Valley. Me, too. I'm in Studio City. Nice. I'm in Sherman Oaks. Ah, we're neighbors. Yep. You know, you're John Morrison and Taya live in Sherman Oaks. Oh, really? Yeah. So nice. you guys are literally neighbors. I love that. I yeah, they're go awesome. find them. I'm sure he's somewhere around flipping off of something. That's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always loved wrestling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Since What's your first five. memory of it? Um, my uncle taking me to the Rosemont Horizons to go see Hulk Hogan versus Earthquake in a stretcher match. And I remember just loving it, loving Hulk Hogan, loving the thing. Because also I grew up in the house, all ladies, just my mom, my sister, my cousin, my aunt. And so wrestling was like, oh, this is our guy thing we go do. And I loved it. And so, um, yeah, I was a big fan since then. So you, you you were watching when Saturday night you were watching Saturday night main event then when Raw started yeah watching oh, it all. yeah watching it all watching WCW I think I was very lucky because growing up in Chicago nice um in the middle of everything where I could watch yeah. ECW I could watch WWE I could watch WCW I've been um I went my famous favorite event I ever went to is I went to that spring stampede in 93 or 94. And now I go back and watch it and I'm like, Oh my God, I saw Ricky steamboat live. I saw Dustin Rhodes. I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin. I saw the nasty boys versus uh, Max Payne and Cactus Jack. That was a great night. That was a great event. I think it's one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Um, and you know, I fell out of it a little bit as a teenager, as one does when they're trying to, uh, uh, fall in line and, and be like, well, what do you like? You don't like it. So I don't worry. I don't like it yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Is, but once I realized that that wasn't a fruitful endeavor, I came right back to it from thanks to Rob Van Dam and 
ECW and Tommy Dreamer and those boys. So I've been a fan ever since. There's been times where it's been difficult to be a fan, as I'm sure you know. Um, but right now, I feel like another goal. I mean, I always say very much the comedy that comedy and wrestling were both kind of going through this golden age again yeah. at the same time. And then both affected by the pandemic. I think comedy even more so than pro wrestling. Oh, um, yeah. I did an interview with Shane Helms recently, Hurricane Helms, and he put it perfectly. He said, having wrestling without an audience is like having comedy without an audience. And I'm yeah, like, oh, absolutely. You nailed it. Because no. so much of what you do on stage as a comedian mm -hmm. is affected by, is the audience reacting to this? Mm -hmm. Oh, they're really thinking that's funny. I'll start to go down this a little bit more, explore this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And in wrestling, it's the exact same way. Like a match may change in the middle of it because the heel has way more heat than you expected or, you know, something yeah. like that. It's just like the reason why basketball and football and those things can still work is that no matter what, whether there's fans or not, there's a score, there's a timer yeah. we're writing down to let you know that there's stakes. Um, wrestling and comedy, you're working for a reaction. So yeah. if there is no reaction, what are you working for? Yeah. So how much has your career shifted over this last year? Because you, oh, so you were on a damn roll. <laughs> a lot. I think I was um, a little bit more well-equipped to handle it than a lot of comedians just because, and it was uh, a thing I was conflicted about where I was like, oh, I'm kind of like this jack of all trades. I do a lot of this and that. I go and host a thing or I do voiceovers, but um, you know, and then I get competitive because I'm like, oh, I see my peers are getting these Netflix specials. Netflix didn't want to give me an hour special. So mm -hmm. I went to Comedy Central. And so uh, which I truly loved and enjoyed. And I think it was the best decision because it, it turned into something truly special and people who really enjoyed it. Uh, but I was like, oh, maybe I should just focus on stand up and prove that I'm one of the best. And uh, then this pandemic hit and I was like, oh, thank God I have these voiceovers because <laughs> there's no like stand up to do. And if there is stand up to do, you're getting I mean, I was getting like um, asked to go out and like do these same gigs that I had booked. But they're like, well, now, you, you know, we can only pay you half. And, you know, and that's rough. And if I needed to do that, I'd do that. But luckily, I was like, you know what? That's okay. I doesn't feel safe, first of all. And uh, I'd like to keep my value up if I can. So I will just go and do these voiceovers. And um, I just shot a pilot. I've shot a couple of pilots um, this past couple months. And I, I shot a little five-episode thing of a trial series that I hope comes out. Yes. And so I've just been trying to go with the flow i did mushrooms one night and they just told me to be nimble like a bunny and that was my thing so i was like you know what if it's leaning this way i'll go this way if it's leaning that way i'll go that way i'm not going to force anything because that's the you know that never works so many people i've heard have had an experience with mushrooms that have changed their life mm -hmm. yeah they're the all best. right all right maybe i'll try it I think you should try a little bit, at least under the guidance of someone who else who has also done some. Just don't do too many. <laughs> Whose career do you look at in comedy and go, I would love to have something similar to that? Um, I mean, I kind of like what I'm doing. I think I'm doing a good job. I never, that's been something my wife and I talk about often where we're like, we never go like, oh, I wish I was doing that or that. I'm sure, like, no, not at all. No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So I will answer your question. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
people who I like emulate are like Patton Oswalt because um, I think he he does nails it. He's like, oh, I'm a when I want acting the thing, it's great, and I'm a great actor. And when I'm doing stand up, it's great, and I'm a great stand up. When I'm doing voiceover, I'm ratatouille. And so, like to me, that's like exactly what I like to do. So yeah. he has been truly one of the, the biggest influences in how I do business and comedy. Um, since I was a teen, I don't think I even would have got started. I was reading his blog about how to get started and how to um, etiquette at an open mic, how mm. you act. Um, I was He was a big influence long before I ever met him. And then he was also one of the people who took me out on the road with him uh, for a few times. And then I'm very happy, and I will say it because he has said it, that he then very quickly decided that he should not take me on the road anymore because he did not want to follow me. So... <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's great. Mm -hmm. So we know that the physical goal here at 40 is to be in the best shape of your life. You have a career goal that you're aiming at for 40? Um, I just like my show that I've been working on about my son and I to be on air. I like it to be a hit. Um, I, and I just like to keep getting better at my career. I just want to keep acting, keep doing voiceovers. But Is this a scripted better. show about you mm -hmm. and your son? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. And um, I just want to keep moving up in levels. I'm not um, impatient. I'm happy to keep working at things and and keep proving myself. But yeah. as I put in, if you look at my bios on Instagram or Twitter or anything, they all say leading man, leading man, because that's how I try to view myself and put myself is that I know it's not conventional, perhaps, but I view myself as like, I am doing something different. I am leading. I am a leading man. And I want to do that. And 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 like Billy Crystal is one of my biggest heroes in that regard. And yeah. um uh oh Rick Moranis. So that's wow. kind of where I try to aim my career now. It's like, oh, I want to be like one of Billy Chris consider like a Billy Crystal, Rick Moranis type. Yeah. Person. How much did being on Joe Rogan's podcast really help to elevate things? Uh, it does a lot. It's the biggest platform in the world right now, I believe. Yeah, it's a big podcast. I think it's absolutely, it definitely, I can go on five, 10 late night shows and did not get the same reaction as going on Joe Rogan's podcast. That's for sure. And it's one of the things I, I mean, we're talking about respect. If we're talking about business respect, there we go. That's another person who, who I think it's just one of the smartest business minds you can come across. The fact that he still owns all his stuff, even yeah. though he's got this deal with Spotify. The fact that he saw this podcast landscape before a lot of people did. The fact that he um, used his love of MMA to also increase his platform, which is another thing I, I do with wrestling. That's yeah. <laughs> another reason where I'm like, oh, I want to be like a Joe Rogan of pro wrestling because that's what i love i don't love mma and so i look at to him for a lot of uh um influence in that um it also is a double-edged sword of watching like how much influence he has where like you i'll go on the show i'll go on the show and you people who are my fans will get mad because they're like why would you go on his show he has alex jones and people like that on his show right. and then if i express 
this other point of view, which is the reason why I go. That's why I'm on the show so that I can express my point of views. And then a lot of his fans are like, oh, who are you? Right. Why are you? You idiot. You're a sheep. And I'm like, first of all, you guys are caping hard for a guy who doesn't give a shit about you, but will text <laughs> me back in a moment. So what? don't act like you know Joe Rogan more than me, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> How could anyone get mad that you wanted to be a guest on the biggest podcast in the world? Uh, black folk, ridiculous stand culture is basically it. People get ridiculous. Like you said, people get over. They want you to just do what you they want you to do and like the people that they want you to like and and only be friends with them. And if you step out of that in one bit, then there's like this stand culture that goes, oh no, why would you do that? Yeah. I've never worked with that. I know yeah. the, the easiest way to get me to do something you don't want me to do is tell me you don't want me to do it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Joe Rogan is carrying the torch for if you love something, there is a way to make money from doing it. Comedy, MMA, uh, hosting, podcasting, crushing it all yeah absolutely and he's a regular guy and that's my whole thing about it is is i like to meet in the middle i don't again with the getting better it's like i don't like to deify any of these people joe yeah. rogan is a regular freaking comedian regular guy he can yeah. crush he's been doing it forever he has the experience but then you have the kind of people like i remember listening to ddp being like joe rogan's the voice of a generation and i was like okay pump the brakes here he's a well. regular guy he's i'm not Again, yes, not to deflate what he's done. Amazing. But then you get a lot of people who then just like, I just follow what he says. I just yeah. follow what he says. And then at that point, you're kind of not following what he says. What mm -hmm. he says is to be a free thinker. Think for yourself. Disagree. I tell him, I'm like, Joe, you, I disagree with what you said. This thing like you're fucking, you sound like an idiot right now to me. And I will say that to him. And he has no problem with me saying that to him. But his fans do. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've loved this, Ron. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. We've been talking about this for like almost a year. So yeah, you gotta come on getting better. I would love to. Um, it'd be an honor to be on your podcast. Please, I'd love to have you. Sure. And when the world is normal, we can do this in person. I'd love that too. I'll drive the seven minutes over to Sherman Oaks and we'll make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you, and like the idea of getting better and like, you know, always trying to be the best version of yourself. I start and end every day with gratitude. So I end every interview with it as well. So you see it here. Be great. Be grateful. What are three things that you're grateful for in your life right now? Easy money. Uh, of course, my wife, she is amazing. We've been married for six months and it didn't even feel like that. So that feels good. Um, she just, it, it feels like we've only been married for like a week and I don't know much about her. And also it feels like she's been in my life since the moment I've been born. So it's oh, a weird thing. Um, special. It's very special. And that's yeah. why I noticed like she'll watch. She watches everything I do. Mm. Every, the only other person who watches as much of the things I do with her is my mom. And I'm like, oh, if you love me like that lady loves me, then You're I got to cry. Wow. <laughs> Um, I'm very grateful for my son and just how much of a kind man he's becoming as he gets, he's going to be 18 in a couple of months. And he's just anyone I talk to that deals with him is teachers, anyone. They're always in love with him. They, they, yeah. they enjoy him so much. And I just think 
you know, with the um, things he has to deal with, with, you know, things are a little loud for him. Things are a little weird for him, a little itchy for him. He never complains. He never has a bad attitude. He's just like a really powerful, strong person. And I'm very grateful for all the lessons that he has taught me. Um, I'm grateful for my home, um, just that I have a home that I self-made this home that no one yeah. gave me this home that my didn't have a parent to give me a loan not that i begrudge anyone i would love to give my son a loan i was yeah. that to me is the goal so i'm not begrudging that but there's a pride that i have sure. in being self-made and knowing where i come from and knowing that i n- never thought i would be a homeowner and the fact that i am and I mean, it helps me in my comedy. Like I I can compartmentalize things. If I have a bad set now, I go like, oh, well, my wife and my beautiful house are waiting for me. So you know what? I'll try again tomorrow. (laughs) As we end this, can you give us five affirmations we can take with us through this day? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love your affirmations. I'll just do them, you know, just, you know, just. I hope that you're feeling strong and that if you're not feeling strong, I hope that you're okay with that. I hope that you know that you are allowed to go through all things. And one of my favorite things to think about is to not uh, withhold feelings or mire in feelings, but allow them to flow through you like water. If you are sad, be sad, but allow that to pass. You know, um, I, I just feel that it, it's okay to be happy in this time period. If you're looking over your shoulder and you're grateful for all the things that you have, but you see that the other people are struggling and you don't feel that it's okay to, to, to shine and feel grateful. I don't agree with that. I think you have to be uh, mindful of other people's situation, but be grateful and be happy that you're being spared at this time from all the struggles that are going around. And I think that's important. And then if you are struggling, if you feel oppressed at this time, I just think it's important to look at the other side of that, of the fact that um, since everything's kind of stripped away and you kind of have like, oh, there is no security, you can really kind of look and go, what's important to me? What do I want to focus on? How do I want to live my life? Not how people have told me to live my life so that when I'm 60, I'll be fine and I'll have security because obviously we've been shown time and time again that the people who are supposed to be taking care of us don't know what they're doing. So enjoy your life now and try to take care of yourself now and take self-ownership in that is one of my biggest thing is like, um, if you're sitting around complaining about like the government and complaining about how you, things are being treated, which you are rightful to do so that is, but that's not new. That's not new. And yeah. that's not going to change. And what can change is how you respond to it and how you protect yourself and protect your family. Yeah. I like, you have your hand over your heart while you were saying all that. <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, intentional or not. No. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. Ron, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. A pleasure talking with you. Can I have one of your Emmys? (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) Ah, What a guy. What a guy. Thanks to Ron. And thanks to you for being on this audio adventure with us. And send this to someone who needs some inspiration in their life. I mean, I think that if you hear Ron's laugh, it would instantly turn your worst day Boom! Into your best day. 
It's just so infectious. Ron's podcast is called Getting Better with Ron Funches. Subscribe to it wherever you're listening to this right now. And if you happen to not be a subscriber to my podcast, let's change that. Let's change that right now. Smash that subscribe button. And I'll leave you with this from Thomas Henry Huxley, who said, the rung of the ladder was never meant to rest upon, but only to hold your foot long enough to enable you to put the other somewhat higher. Be great. Be grateful. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.